0: This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have two special guests. My first gentleman is CTO of security at Salesforce. His name is Tahar El-Gamal. And I have another gentleman here. He is CTO at CrowdStrike, Mike Santonis. Tahar, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hey, listen, right out the gate, we always do this so our audience can know exactly what you guys do and what your companies do. So let's start with you. Mike, since Salesforce is our title sponsors, Tyler, we'll save you for next. But Mike, give us a quick rundown. What is CrowdStrike and what specifically do you do there?
1: Sure thing. So I am the chief technology officer at CrowdStrike. We are a global cybersecurity leader. We're one of the, the leaders in the industry. We've really focused on building a very different and unique approach, still unique today approach to cybersecurity. We use a single lightweight agent cloud architecture to Effectively deploy our technology that allows you to use uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, what we call real-time indicators of attack as opposed to IOCs. Obviously, our goal is to keep our customers safe and secure and to stop
0: breaches. Excellent. Tahir, how about yourself?
2: I work for Salesforce. Salesforce was the first and currently the largest uh, SaaS cloud CRM company. When it started, it was really centered around CRM. Uh, At this point in time, it's a cloud-centric, data-centric, digital transformation company that can help uh, all our customers with handling all the data and all the interactions with their customers, and I'm the security CTO.
0: The security CTO. So we have the security CTO of the world's largest CRM. I'm just going to say it's the biggest CRM. And we have the one of the leaders in cybersecurity. So how did a partnership between Salesforce and CrowdStrike get developed? What are you guys accomplishing together? And how did it begin? Tyler, we'll start with you. How did you guys end up selecting and partnering with CrowdStrike?
2: For the security organization at Salesforce, it was really pretty simple. We partner with the largest and the most innovative companies in the security world. We are obviously a very large footprint uh, on on the internet. So cybersecurity for us is one of the top things. It's actually always one of the top two things for any organization in Salesforce. And we reach out to the leaders in the industry. And obviously CrowdStrike was very high on that list. It's very simple. We want to track what is happening in the world. We want to know who's attacking us and what's happening, and who could possibly succeed. So we get a lot of value from our CrowdStrike footprint.
0: And then for yourself, Michael, what have you learned? I guess, or what has CrowdStrike learned for supporting an organization this big? Because I think a lot of our audience out there is, you know, it's split. We have certainly tech leaders, but we also have, uh, let's say, entry level or young developers and engineers in the business. And so for them, they might not quite fully understand like just how expansive Salesforce is. Tyra kind of hinted at it before, but Salesforce, so much is built on Salesforce. Like that's like the, it's like almost like an OS. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like an OS, like everything's plugged into it somehow. And then they've asked you, Michael, to secure it all (laughs) or help them secure it all. Give us an idea of what your relationship's like and what have you learned supporting an organization that has arguably software plugged, like their software data points are plugged into so many other data points.
1: Yeah, look, I think uh, there's a lot there to unpack. And and I think uh, Tahoe said it very well. Uh, I think it's, it's pretty simple, leaders choose leaders. So if you've ever heard George Kurtz, our CEO and co-founder talking about the evolution and how he thought of CrowdStrike in the early days, uh, very rarely will he talk about those early days of CrowdStrike without mentioning Salesforce. Um, and he will basically say that, his vision was for CrowdStrike to be the sales force of security, and it's credit to effectively what Salesforce have built—the way that they've built their cloud, focusing on cloud first, etc. And we've modeled a lot of concepts the same way. There wasn't really a security cloud uh, before CrowdStrike. There wasn't the the ability to secure organizations like. Uh, Salesforce the way that that we do. So we've built uh, an incredibly large security cloud. Uh, That's all we do. We don't have an on-prem version. We don't have a hybrid version. We are cloud-delivered security. And we've built uh, a product that is very lightweight, very easy to install. So it's easy for organizations to get hold of it, to roll it out, and to secure the organization. So Look, we've learned an incredible amount as you go through the 11 years of CrowdStrike's history, installing into organizations like Salesforce that have the performance requirements, to have a security uh, attack surface that they do. You're going to be on your game. They expect the best from our solution. They expect a certain level of efficacy, of course, from the product, um, service level agreement. And uh, it's been a great partnership. We We continue to interact all the time, which I think that's how it should be, and we both learn from working with each other.
2: Yeah, you know, it's understanding the threats and the attacks and, and, and all of that is obviously the core of why, you choose, why we choose our partners, but just as important how, how our partners can scale with us. And the current scale is one thing, but the future scale is probably a different thing. So, so uh, safely and securely and sort of being able to, to move with us to different things, you know, as you know, Salesforce acquire companies, and when we say we want to protect Salesforce, we are going to protect all of Salesforce.
0: So, Tahir, give me an idea of what you know from your perspective. What does it take to secure the endpoints that you have? Well, oh, I I use the word endpoints just because I just think of I've, I was taught by someone else like data is just nothing but endpoints. You're <laughs> protecting data from A to B. That's when it matters the most. And you kind of hinted at it. You have platform which people are building applications on all the time. Some of which you have no clue what they're arguably you might have no clue what they're building right there's third-party integrations there's API polls there's you mentioned MA a activity within the company and then so what is it what does it mean when you say you're looking for scalability because like uh, there's got to be a root security that says this has to be true and then w- when you say scalability like how do you know you've, you've got it or what are you looking for if you could describe that to our audience who's maybe they're just starting to break down I'm sure some of our audiences overseeing an architect and trying to protect systems that are, you know, maybe they're starting to develop some cracks.
2: So, I mean, you're right, mostly about one thing so far, which is the data comes from the endpoints. If you understand the data from a lot of endpoints, you end up understanding a lot of behavior, but the analysis of, of all, you know, the data needs to be done in a central spot. That's actually sort of the value that we get from the partner from the partnership with CrowdStrike in this case. It's actually not one thing, but it's multiple things. So being able to install CrowdStrike on more different types of endpoints, we have a lot of heterogeneous things. And being able to, you know, accumulate the data in in, in certain places and be able to say, here, you know, we see that there is this kind of thing happening, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of endpoints. It's a real task, right?
0: So, Michael, you know, your duty is not only to develop the engineering that's going to do that, but also arguably to to simplify and understand that. That's one of the things that is constantly we hear from different tech leaders that plays the security industry, which is the ability to identify signal from noise. Because, you know, Tyler said you're overseeing in a central location hundreds of thousands of endpoints. How do you go about building an application that then says, like, okay, but I can't give too many false positives because if my main man Tyler gets a hundred thousand false positives, he's going to freak out.
2: (laughs) No, I'm not going to freak out I will ignore them actually. I will not freak out at all. (laughs) And that's,
1: that's actually a really, really bad thing because it's not what exactly what Tara just said is the problem, right? If you've got so much noise in your system, if you've got so many false positives, the, the result is people start ignoring things. At some point, you ignore the one alert that you actually needed to focus on. It's a very real problem in, in cyber. I want to come back to a point that Tahoe made, which is I think is absolutely fantastic. Uh, a lot of people say to us, um, you guys are this leader. You know, When are you coming out with a firewall? When are you coming out with a, a network? Pick a product. Or when are you doing email? When are you doing uh, web security? And my answer always is never. You know, I'll obviously always caveat that. Well, you know, you never know, but there there is no plan. I have no plan. The company has no plan to get into network, for example. And the reason for it is focus. Uh, At the end of the day, uh, an adversary, an attacker, is there not to steal your network. You know, their focus is to get to the data and to get to the user. They're the two things that are important to an adversary. Everything else um, is a distraction in many ways. So, how do we help? Tahoe, how do we help? Organizations like Salesforce and others, it's being focused at what we do. It's making sure that we're not distracted by having a telephone book. Do, do people even have telephone books anymore? But a, a telephone book thickness of, of product skews that we can sell. You know, It doesn't matter who you talk to in an enterprise, you've got something to sell. Uh, that's a reason why if you go back in our industry, you know, a lot of the names that you would have been speaking to on a podcast 10 years ago don't exist. Uh, And a big part of that is just a lack of focus, uh, trying to do everything to everyone. So, you know, use modern techniques to deal with modern uh, attack tradecraft. You know, everyone talks about AI. I mean, we really focus on building ML models that can help detect an attack very, very quickly and easily. My team is paid on efficacy. Um, They're paid on making sure false positives don't exceed a certain threshold. It's easy to build an ML model that detects everything is bad. And unfortunately, it also detects everything good as bad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A few vendors in the next gen space that don't exist today because that's effectively what they did as well. So that's important. You got to manage those thresholds very, very carefully.
0: And when you, and when you're building this, you know, you mentioned this, this concept that. Other customers, other people have asked you, Michael, can you, it's almost like a consolidation request, right? Can you build your technology into other realms of expertise? And we've seen that in software, uh, software technology, where there's like typically like proliferation of specialization, and then there's roll up and consolidation. And that kind of happens all the time. You've said, we're going to be focused, laser focused here in what we do. And this is a more philosophical question, but like, does consolidation help cybersecurity? Like that's, or, or because in your, it seems like in your perspective, maybe not really, because you, you you, should allow the people that are experts in their domain to be experts in their domain. But I can also see how big companies will be like, hey, I need, I would rather just work with one vendor. Does consolidation help cybersecurity? I'm curious for your opinion on that.
1: Yeah, it's that's interesting. I mean, when we talk about being very focused, um, you also can't live on an island. If Tahoe and, and the team at Salesforce have to deal with, you know, twenty-five different security vendors that don't work well together. That doesn't help him, because at the end of the day, then then they have to get all of these products to work, and you know it tends to not work exceptionally well. Go back to the comment that we both started with, talking about leaders working with leaders. We may not focus on other things, but we we partner with leaders in in our space. So you know, we'll work with a uh, a ZScaler as an example. We'll partner with. Uh, a proof point or a mimecast if you want to do things on email. We'll partner with a range of different vendors with Okta and Ping for your IDP requirements. The customer should be able to get products that snap together out of the box. This is one of the things that frustrates me with the security industry. You can go to every security company and they'll tell you about their partner ecosystem. But at the end of the day, the customer is still a systems integrator trying to get the products to work. So there's no value to saying you've got 500 tech partners and every time somebody makes a, a change on the product, everything breaks. So that's important to us to make sure that we build that ecosystem. But coming back to your question, Albert, um, I, I don't think the security industry is consolidating. I know everybody's been talking about it over the last few years. You know, It's going to get smaller. It's going to get smaller. Um, the big boys will get bigger and the smaller vendors will, will um, get sort of pushed out. There's so much money going into uh, investing into cybersecurity startups because there's so much money to be made. You know, If you want to go and find somebody that works on API security, there's 100 vendors that you can go and speak to. If you want to go and speak to somebody that focuses on AppSec, there's 150 vendors that you can go and speak to. It's hard. I think for an end user buying security, it's probably harder today with the amount of vendors that are out there. Everyone says the same thing. I, I, I would hate to know, Tahoe, how many emails and calls you get from vendors <laughs> trying to tell you that <laughs> they've got the latest AI and ML models and single agents and the rest of it. You, you've got a harder job than me, my friend.
2: Uh, well, I don't re- I don't return most of them. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> How do you build an infrastructure, a security, cybersecurity infrastructure, given that? Like, because... I think the old, that concept of like, you know, the proliferation, specialization, roll up and consolidation, like you're here the buyer, you're telling, you know, like, eh, it makes total sense. You need the best of the best. You can't have like, oh, I'll consolidate because it's easy to buy. That's a bad idea, obviously. <laughs>
2: I mean, if you think of the, the problem from a Salesforce enterprise type company, you think of the overall security program first, not the infrastructure. So the program says here, here are the threats that we need to protect from. Uh, here are the entities that we care about. Here are our customer base and their threats that you know we want to protect. Here is where our customer data lives, which is the most important asset that we want to protect. And then from that, you end up designing what the architecture looks like. From an enterprise standpoint, you want layered security. So, So there is no one thing that will solve all security issues for any enterprise ever. So layered security, in the old days, we used to call it defense in depth, but I've been around for a long time. These words are not used anymore. But layered security is important. And and the endpoints are very important. The network itself is very important. The web-facing things are very important. And identities of people are very important. So we do want our partners to be talking to each other, the products to be talking to each other, because we will see evidence on one side that says X is happening. And we want to get all the evidence from everybody else to support what that is. Did this happen before? You know How deep is this thing going? So so trying to understand what an attack is actually producing as quickly as possible, if you wish. Everybody gets attacked, by the way. When somebody tells you they have zero attacks, they're, they're either don't know or they're lying. One of the two things.
0: They got nothing worth taking.
2: <laughs> well, there is no such thing. If, 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 if they're selling shoes on the internet, they have something worth taking because I, somebody wants to get these shoes for free. Yeah, so yeah, they do true. have something where everybody has something. So it's the layered approach. You know, how do we prevent bad things that we know we don't, ha- we don't want? How do we detect things early enough that we can you know, see if we can prevent the next one? All of that combined produces, you know, what the overall security program from a technical architecture. Where are the vulnerabilities? Are these vulnerabilities exposed to the outside world? So, so, you know, all enterprises kind of, you know, agree on what the overall program looks like, if you wish. Choosing the partners, you know, we're, we're a platform company, as, as Mike correctly said, and, and we, we've had these conversations with, with George and the CrowdStrike team many, many times. So the fact that they're building a platform for other security controls to actually use the data that CrowdStrike is producing and using and analyzing, that's, that's a lot of value. So it's, it's kind of meeting in the minds, if you wish. We, we actually agree on, on a lot of things. But obviously, we do have to have the layer of the approaches. We want the fastest possible way to detect that somebody is attempting to attack the company or any of the assets that we care about.
0: You guys both kind of hinted at it, which is this adversaries, and we know that like you said, you're always going to be attacked. There's always gonna be something we're taking. So it's not gonna stop. Yet we currently live in a time where the economy is, you know, turning and possibly uncertain at best, right? A lot of people are concerned, they're nervous. CISOs at enterprises or small companies, they have new challenges in front of them as well. And how should they, I guess, be thinking about their cybersecurity investments? Because on one hand, I know different companies are asking for austerity measures. Like leaders are probably, like, "Hey, man, Ty, you got to save me some money," but at the same time, you got to protect me. <laughs> like you can't. And so how should a CISO, if you're, if a CISO or someone who's in charge of cybersecurity is listening to this podcast right now, listening to you to talk, how should they approach their investments in this upcoming year? I'd love to hear your perspective. We'll start with you, Mike. So you're on your, you sell security into companies. How are they talking to you? What are they concerned about? How would you advise them and what decisions to make? Because I think they're. I think many CISOs are going to be tasked with this, this assignment, this, uh, this, this year.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I'd love to unpack a couple of things that Tahoe said before, because I think that that really talks to the the, the question that you've just asked, Albert. But Tahoe, you heard mention a comment or made a comment about defense in depth and how we've always wanted defense in depth. You know, what's interesting, if you look back over, say, the last decade, defense in depth was confused, uh, probably intentionally because of you know cybersecurity vendors and the way that they sell, was with confused with vendor in depth. And it was, you know, the way that cybersecurity companies would go and sell would be, hey, you can't, you know, you can't use semantic McAfee, and Trend. You need to, you know, you can't pick just one. You need to pick all three. You know, put one on the gateway, put one on the web server, put one on the desktop. Um, That doesn't help. Vendor in depth does not help. Defense in depth means having different security controls that prevent and detect in different ways so you don't have a single point of failure Reality is, if you can get it all from the one vendor and those features work differently, great. That's you know one of the things that we've really looked at. So customers want platforms. They want to consolidate their, their spend. They want to uh, work with as fewer vendors as they possibly can. But they don't want to lose the defense in depth architecture. So to your point, I mean, if you look at the security market, incredibly uh, crowded, Uh, more vendors today than ever. But one of the things that we've really focused on is to build a platform similar to the conversations that we've had listening and learning from from Salesforce. It's a platform architecture. So we've built a platform. There's one agent. There's 23 modules that sit on top of that agent from next-gen AV prevention to EDR to firewall management, device control, et cetera. But our goal from an engineering perspective is to make sure that each one of those products could be a standalone startup company where the technology works and is best in class. And that's that's the goal that we have for the engineering team because I want customers to be able to say, CrowdStrike is our strategic security partner. They have a platform that we can effectively consolidate as many different workloads from many different vendors. And that's what's made us uh, unique in who we are today, if you will. Uh, But they'll have other requirements. They need things on the web and email things that we've talked about before. So, again, our goal is to make sure that we integrate out of the box with those vendors so the the integration work is not something that the customer has to suffer through.
2: Very good summary. Uh, Thanks, Mike. So we have to build the program centered around a small number of strategic partners, but, you know, it's also our job to challenge our partners. So, you know, Mike and I agree on a lot of things, but, but of course, we all reserve the right to not agree on certain things. There is a reason why there's a lot of small startup cybersecurity companies. And one of the reasons is we honestly have not solved the problem yet. And the problem is we get attacked. People get attacked. They just do not know where that came from. So so there's always a reason to look for innovative young companies. The trick of finding, you know, the two that you want to talk to in the middle of the thousands that got funded is understood and and a tricky situation. But these do exist. And sometimes, uh, you know, a new vendor comes up to sort of refresh an area in security that's gotten stale. CrowdStrike is one of the best examples of this. Because, you know, that the AV market, the endpoint AV market got stale and then new breed of cybersecurity companies will come up and say, hey, we can help you do A, B and C, not just, you know, find a virus on your computer. And that's why we move into, you know, working with a CrowdStrike and the other leaders we work with. And that applies in, you know, in the firewall kind of space and it applies in the web security space and email and identity and so on. So we're always looking for new and innovative companies. But the reality is to work with an enterprise size company, we need solutions that will end up scaling. You know, It's just important. So small companies, you know, we talk to them all the time. We, we have partnered with some smaller companies over the years because there was a situation that we needed something that we felt that was the right thing to do. But at large, we want to partner with the market leaders in in their areas, for sure.
0: For you, Tyre, how do you go about, you know, you're saying, hey, listen, we have big platforms, proven platforms that we can build upon with CrowdStrike. Yet at the same time, we're gonna explore. You know, you're not saying you're gonna commit, you're gonna explore or possibly test smaller, newer, innovative ways to protect different things. How do I'm curious, does your leadership, does, do they ask you like, Hey, what's the time to value on these kinds of things? Do you have your own internal measures? Like to understand like, Hey, this has to prove it can do something in a certain period of time. How do you go about assessing this? Because it's one of those things where, you know, and, and Mike's going to have a similar problem where there's going to be new features or things that people are engineering. that are going to complement what you're doing and you want to integrate it. But how do you go about testing, implementing Like what measures do you go about saying like, it's got to Maybe like criteria, I guess, to evaluate the feasibility, success factors, and so on for committing to to these new implementations, new technologies.
2: Yes, we are not going to go and talk to 5,000 different cybersecurity companies <laughs> because that will take us 20 years, and of course by then life will be different. But we are connected in the industry. We do this in, in not in a very scientific way, as you were trying to elude, actually. <laughs> we, we do this in, in sort of a more practical way. Uh, the security world has a lot of connectivity. We meet in, in gatherings and conferences. We meet in SISU events, and we compare notes. So if I hear from someone I trust that they tried this small company and it did A, B, and C very well, that I take that as 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 a vote of confidence for a new a new kind of company that is coming up, and maybe that's a reason for us to talk to, but we're not gonna go evaluate tens of companies in any one space we maybe evaluate two that we believe are are the two most interesting things for us, and honestly, if we miss another twelve I, there's just nothing we can do about it it's not looking for the best you know three person startup in security because I don't, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> but sometimes you you're in a situation when there's a very focused, you know, problem that you want a very, very specific technology to solve. And, you know, if that turns out to be one of the you know companies in the ecosystem of a company like CrowdStrike, that's value for us. That's actually good stuff. If it turns out that it's kind of a unique thing that we need to solve, you know, we're gonna go and evaluate. And if it works, it would be great. That's it's really based on connections.
0: So yeah, all you uh, all you reps out there, bothering Tyre, He already told you. He's now told you twice. He's ignored you. I don't,
2: I don't answer. I don't answer the emails. I, I, it's just not time. I mean, there's no it, time,
0: obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Mike. The one thing we've heard from every cybersecurity professional that has been on this show is the talent gap. There's a huge demand for this industry. There's not enough people that are working or or qualified in this industry or looking to be in this industry, whatever the case may be. And we read that you're doing something about this and that CrowdStrike University is, is something that has spun up with your company. Give us an idea of how you're envisioning CrowdStrike University and what it's going to do to hopefully change the trajectory of the talent pool in the field.
2: <laughs> this is
0: an interesting one. Uh
1: you brought it up, but if you didn't bring it up, uh you wouldn't hear me talking about the 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 skills gap because uh, it's just something that um it's a, to me it's a little bit overdone, and not that it's not a real problem, I think it's it's a lazy comment everyone it's a, it's easy to say that there's a skills gap if if everyone is trying to hire the same five people that came from the same five schools, there will always be a skills gap. And that's the thing that I think um, is not talked about enough. Some of the smartest minds that I've met in my career in the cybersecurity industry did not come from cyber. They did not do the university degree that I did. They didn't go and do the same path that I took to get to where I am. Some of the smartest minds I've met um, are, are lawyers that decided that they were interested in this space. Some of their people came from such diverse backgrounds and they were interested in this space and someone gave them a chance. So they either went and did their own schooling, somebody gave them a job, um, they were inquisitive, they they had a, a, a passion and a desire to learn and they got into the industry. We We've got a lot of those people that work at CrowdStrike today. They don't have that natural you know, what you would think, the five best schools in the US or the UK or Australia or whatever the, the case may be. So we need to get a little bit different in terms of the way that we approach the hiring. Um, diverse backgrounds gives diverse thinking and and brings a different approach. All of the great things that you want from, uh, you know, for example, a, a security hunter. So look, we're, we're doing a whole bunch of stuff, right? We We have the CrowdStrike Foundation. I'm on the board of the CrowdStrike Foundation, and we have a, a next gen scholarship uh, program. So, you know, we're looking for students, and we're looking to help students go through school and and go and get their qualifications and and get into the the industry. And and look, we've worked with all the big name schools, and and we've given uh, scholarships through a number of different schools, and we want to take that internationally, but. There's other things that we want to do, from internships, recruitment drives, going and speaking at events to educate people that want to come into uh, cyber and and give people a chance. I think that's how you solve the skills gap. Trying to crank more people out of the same five schools, it's not going to happen.
0: No, that's a great point. It, you had a interesting comment there earlier about how people from let's say non-traditional fields or non-traditional disciplines have been some of the best people on your team. I didn't know if you had a story that you could share that like demonstrated how like how a different perspective solved the problem that maybe someone who's more classically trained in cyber missed. Uh, if any fun story like that?
1: Matt, I've got I've got heaps. I was talking to somebody recently who is his apprenticeship, he was a mechanic. And he's in cyber today, and he's just a phenomenal engineer. And why? He came home one day and thought, you know, th- this this is not what I want to do. Going to work, you know, with with oil and working on cars, and I love cars, but it's not what I want to do. Sat there and picked up a couple of manuals, trained himself, started coding, and and here we are today. Phenomenal uh, engineer. Um, equally people that I know that um, are lawyers. you know they're great at research, they're inquisitive, they like looking for facts. Um, you know hugely well-known people in the cyber space. I mean, there's so many examples of that. You've got to just look for that different diverse thinking. if I, if I hire threat hunters that all are trained the same exact way, then as an adversary, it's very easy to understand how you get around that threat hunter. So that diverse background is such a benefit. People talk about diversity, but just play out what we're actually talking about here. People that come from different backgrounds, that come from different skills, that have different skills, that think differently, are not going to think the same way as the adversaries being trained to also behave. And that's what you want to be thinking about. Tahir, I
0: see you. I see you nodding enthusiastically. I, I,
2: I've been in security for a very, very long time. One of the best security consultants I've ever w- worked with in my life figured out that he should work uh, in cybersecurity because he was really good at picking locks.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean like, man, the, yeah.
2: Throw him at any building, he finds his way through the building by picking the lock off of the back door. And he says sixty percent of locks are installed incorrectly. So it's a mindset that kind of enables people to see, ah, this is not actually done correctly. And then, and he taught himself computers. Nobody taught him ever computers. He never took a single class. He taught himself computer. I mean, and I'm I'm sure Mike, you've seen these people before. Yeah. Yeah. And he's extremely talented. I mean, he finds things I, I still call him until today when, when, you know, somebody calls me with a strange thing, I call and say, Hey, you know, what do you think? So yes. And, and, you know, there's stories like that all over the place, but, security cyber security skills is not one thing there is different levels there is different angles there's different you know uh, specialties and, and whatever you know we at Salesforce we donated our our cyber security training program to the world economic Forum if you actually go to the World economic Forum site, you will find content that we just put out there. If somebody wants to learn about X, they can find free content, they can go and teach themselves. And if they think that they can contribute to the cybersecurity industry, you know that they're free to do so. We're all trying to increase the level of sophistication.
0: No, that's fantastic. For those who are interested, we will link those. Below in the show notes, we'll send you to the World Economic Forum so you can check out some of the free classes. We'll send you links to CrowdStrike University so you can check this out. CrowdStrike Foundation. Listen, if you're out there listening and you think to yourself, Hey, I want to up level. I want to change industries. You can, you heard it from Mike. You heard it from Tyler. They are looking for people from diverse backgrounds and skills to bring, like you said, a new mentality, a new approach to how to solve some of these problems. This is a problem that is not going to go away. Arguably, it's going to get more challenging. I think that's a fair fact. You're going to have more endpoints, more new adversaries. Uh, So anyone interested in going into cybersecurity, check those links below. Mike Taher, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing some of the things that you're doing together and how you're approaching solving these problems, as well as how to select my future investments in cybersecurity. But before you go, it's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Tahir, Mike, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. Mike, let's start from you. Is there anything you enjoy creating outside of work? So we notice that engineers are often creators or builders. Do you create or build anything outside of work?
1: Uh, I'm probably tinkering with a car out of
0: work. Like what kind of cars? Do you just fix cars regularly? Or do you rebuild classics, any, any particular thing?
1: Modern cars at the moment, Uh, I I do have a collection of uh, very old classic Vespers that I'm tinkering around with because they break down that much, but (laughs) there's always something that I'm doing, uh, something to do with if it's got an engine and it's got wheels and it can go fast and you can define fast, I'm usually playing with it if I can.
0: That's awesome. I'm, I'm. I'm. By the way, I'm trained in a motorcycle mechanic. That was actually my first career coming out
2: of uh, coming out of school. <laughs> yeah, when we need to talk, you can come and help.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, how about yourself? What do you like to do outside of work?
2: I, I only like driving the fast cars. It turns out. Um, <laughs> but what I think i with is math, actually. So really? it's maybe a boring answer, but I like number theory, and that's that's how I got into cryptography in the first place. So, you know, people sometimes when I'm sitting on a plane and somebody looks and I'm, you know, reading a number theory book, they kind of freak out a little bit, but that's what I, that's what I like to do.
0: I'm going to say your, your hobby is uh, more advanced than mine. That's for sure.
2: (laughs) Not Necessarily. Not necessarily.
0: How about what are you reading right now?
2: I read old history books.
0: How about you, Mike? Are
1: you a reader? Uh, I am, but I'm really boring because I'm going to say product manuals at the moment. We've got a lot going on. so <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, no time for reading anything else other than that at the moment. Product manuals. What kind of product manuals? We have a lot, of, uh, a lot of products coming out the door. There's a lot of things that we're working on from XDR to data security and others. So it's, uh, it's spending time focused on that at the moment.
0: That's awesome. So your work... Has crept into your personal life. My man, man, Mike is reading work product manuals at <laughs> home for fun. That's a dangerous thing. Well, Tyler, what advice? And this is going to be the same question for you, Mike. If you could go back in time and give yourself advice, what advice would you give your younger self?
2: I, I love it when people, uh, you know, ask me that. I have nothing to regret. You know the way my career has has progressed over the years. Uh, I would probably tell myself. Go and talk to more people. Your opinions are actually interesting. I, I'm exceedingly introverted. And it, it, took, it took me actually, it took me a long time to teach myself, have to reach out to people I need to reach out to. But if I actually learned that earlier, probably would have been in a better place.
0: Well, you, I mean, you seem very free flowing and speak. you know, speaking, it's fine on camera right now.
2: You're talking about one of my favorite subjects. I mean, come on, I can talk about cybersecurity until the end of time.
0: <laughs> Mike, how about yourself? Is there any advice, if you could, give to your younger self? Um, Probably.
1: I was going to say, you know, learning to be more resilient. Maybe I'd say probably to be more patient. If, you know, if I kind of think back, of my career I was trying to get everything done and, you know, get to every place I wanted to be and do it all within three months uh so learning to be a little bit more patient, you know trusting the process learning along the way being prepared for every next step is probably what I,
0: I would tell myself looking back at the bulldozer that i was trying to be throughout my career yeah you know the one thing i've captured from talking with both of you is you kind of have talked about you know if we were to say hard skills soft skills like you guys talked about soft skills like you know the hard skills of cyber and you kind of hinted at it earlier in the conversations like you know people from the outside might view the technical requirements of entering this field as this narrow thing, like, oh, you need to know these protocols or you need to know cryptography or whatever you need to know. But it's not, it's, you gotta be, like you've both said, inquisitive, wanna build things, wanna learn things and have some different perspectives. And that's the probably, and you guys have said it both, is like you have found some of the best people in this field who possess these skills
1: yeah look you can be the best at anything that you do in any field that you work in whatever it is you can be the best sportsman uh sports person you can be the absolute best and if no one wants to work with you because you're <laughs> just not a great person you will always have a limit into to what you can achieve so the soft skills are are just so important you know i'd i'd give that advice to people as well you, you can be the best coder you can be the best hacker you can be the but literally, if you just alienate everyone that you work with, you will always have a cap in where you can go and what you can do.
2: And and always listen to others. Everybody has something to add. There you go.
0: Well, gentlemen, it was great having you on the show. Thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. As mentioned before in the show notes, if you want to see and learn more about CrowdStrike and or Salesforce, we have it all linked up below. Thank you again for joining us on IT Visionaries.
2: Thank you, Albert.
0: Thanks.